This episode of Bobby and Jens is sponsored by Hammerhead Karoo 2. Jens, I know we just got these in and I'm starting to play around with it and I'm quite impressed. How are you liking? I do like them a lot actually. It is easy to use and you don't really have to read the manual to understand how it works. It all comes kind of like self-explaining. That's a big plus, a bonus for me. So yes, I do like it a lot. Well, we know that you're not the biggest fan of numbers, but I am. And I love the size of the screen. And my most favorite thing is the exclusive climber with predictive path technology feature. You know, you don't download every single route when you're out there riding, but with this technology, you can actually see the climb coming up and know how far it is to the top, know the, the gradient that you have to deal with. And, and I love that. So all my Strava data can go straight uploaded and I can share it with the entire world. Well, for a limited time, our listeners can get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of the Hammerhead Karoo 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code BobbyYens22, all uppercase, at checkout to get yours today. This is an exclusive limited time offer only for our podcast listeners. So don't forget to use promo code BobbyYens22. That's a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Caro 2. Go to hammerhead.io, add both items to your cart and use the promo code BobbyYens22 today. So I was standing there trying to uh, record this uh, predictor and uh, and the horses, they were just really angry with me that I was there and then I didn't give them any pairs. I, at least that's what I think that they were thinking. So I was kind of like attacked by this horse who was a bit uh, upset with me. So yeah, but, but you, should, should, you should see the, the video footage, it's amazing. Our guest today was pro for a whopping 18 years, starting with the Rabobank team and then becoming a teammate of ours at CSC. He won a stage in the Tour de France in 2002 on Bastille Day. He did two Olympics and was known as a super KG rider for the one-day events. He's been retired since 2014 and now works as a commentator for Dutch Eurosport. We sit down with our friend, Karsten Krohn for a great chat about all things cycling today on Bobby and Jens. Okay, everyone, as promised, our friend, ex-teammate, and overall awesome dude, Karsten Krohn, welcome to Bobby and Jens. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Man, it's an honor. I tell you, very, very unfrequently do we have somebody as profi as yourself. I mean, you got the backdrop, you got the nice, comfortable chair, you got the boom mic, you got the ear ear things, as if you do this for a living, Karsten. Mm, yeah, I mean, yeah. tell us, it's been a while since we've gotten together with our old CSC kind of virtual cocktail hour get-together. So what's going on? Well, um, I retired from uh, professional racing eight years ago. And uh, ever since I've been working, um, among other things, uh, as a sports commentator for Eurosport. So that's also why I have this uh, very uh, professional setup at my at my house. And so um, I um, I sacrificed a part of my garage for uh, for this uh, this this office I have here. Is my my little man cave. So what else is there? 
in there behind that black curtain behind you. It's, what it's else? A, a lot of a mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> that sounds like my garage. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, it's like a, behind the curtains, there's, there's a mess. Yes. So. Carson, did you keep any uh, bikes from your career that are behind that curtain? Uh, no, the, 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 I only have one bike, and that's that one. It's my last race bike. It was from uh, 2014 uh, in uh, Japan. That's what was my last race with uh, with Bjarne. And for the rest, I have I have cool. no bikes. And in that house of yours, do you keep any trophies on a special wall, or where uh, are they? Yeah, well, that, that's a, that's an in interesting question. So. Um, a lot of people notice that in my house you cannot see that I have been a bike rider. So there's there's nothing that reminds of cycling. Um, but um, a few months ago I built this uh, little man cave, and now I have uh, on my wall I have I don't know if you can I have to turn my eye back. Can you see them there? Those are mm, the mountain yes. races of the Giro, Vuelta, and Tour. So that's that's pretty that's, cool. Yeah. So that's that's pretty cool. So that's that's it. And for the rest, um, no, I, I I don't live I, I don't live in a museum. Yeah, too funny, Carsten. It's the same for me. I have my very first trophy from the bus country, but it's in the basement next door. And if you're in the living room, or you wouldn't notice that uh, I was a bike rider. Same for me here. Yeah. And you, Bobby? I've got some things in my in my office. It was more because I was you know we moved houses and all of a sudden had all my stuff, all my memorabilia that used to be spread over a couple continents kind of in one place. And my wife was like, you got to put that stuff up on the wall. But um, a little bit, not too much. But uh, yeah, enough about me, enough about us. Let's, let's, let's go back in time a little bit here, Karsten. I mean, I grew up in the USA where there was very little cycling culture. But what was it like growing up in the in the Netherlands when you were young, and what was your actual introduction into the sport in the first place? Um, well, that's an interesting question. So I do not come from a sporting family, and certainly not not, not cycling. Um, my my parents were more or less uh, hippies, although I, I've never seen a sign of the free sex and uh, and, and and drugs. But uh, <laughs> like. Uh, my parents, they, they, they bought a farm and they grew their own food and we didn't have a car and uh, we did everything by bike, also uh, going on holidays. So um, like my first Tour de France was when I was 12 and I, uh, we, uh, we cycled from, from the Netherlands to the Mediterranean Sea and it was like 1900 kilometers and I was 12 then, my sister was 14. So we did it in three weeks' time. We did, uh, I think we had two or three rest days, like, like the proper Tour de France. And uh, we did about 100k uh, a day. Um, but then I, I, I wasn't racing yet. Um, and I, I always did a, did a lot of sports. And yeah, at, at one moment I was uh, 14, it was more or less like a logical step. And actually it was my dad's idea who said, maybe you should uh, try uh, cycling. And uh, so that, that's what I did. And the rest is uh, history. But I'm, <clears throat> I must say, that must have been quite an adventure. 100 kilometers a day, 12 years old, and you had probably just a normal kid's bike, right? No, it, wasn't, it, was, not, it was not a normal uh, kid's bike. It was a, a Batavus. It was like kind of like a race bike, it, but I still remember it, it weighed 20 kilos, the bike. But it did have gears, but it was still 20 kilos. And I was like really little for my age, so I was like probably 
I don't know, maybe 40 kilos or something. So I was on a, on a, on a bike, half my weight, but it was only the bike. And we also carried the luggage, also the tents and the, uh, the, 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 the cooking stuff and the sleeping bag and clothing and everything. And, um, and I still remember that we, um, so we went all the way to, uh, to, to the Mediterranean and we, we passed the Mont Ventoux. And then, uh, my dad said, so maybe we, I, I didn't know anything about cycling to, to be honest. And my dad said, yeah, there's this really big mountain here and it's really famous from the, from the Tour de France. So why don't we ride up there? So, uh, that, that, so that's what we did, um, without luggage. Uh, so this, this, uh, was, was in July. It was a, a hot summer day and really early in the morning, we went to the, to uh, Bedouin, to the, the, the foot of the Mont Ventoux. And my dad, he gave me a 15 minute uh, advantage. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he, he he called me just before the top, so I was riding up up on two, and uh, looking behind me all the time. And then uh, yeah, he, he called me at, at the end. So I think it's it, I did it in two hours and three minutes. Not bad with a twenty kilo mm -hmm. bike and twelve years old after a little bit of pre fatigue in the in the legs. I would imagine. I would imagine. But that's that's what. Um, I experienced when I got to go to Europe the first time and to the Netherlands for the first time was I was just blown away with how many bikes were everywhere. Yeah. So when a, you know, we recently had the tour of Spain start in your home country of the Netherlands. And is it just another bike race or another festivity or do people actually really look forward to um, you know, something like the Vuelta or the Tour de France starting in your home country. It's, it's, it's definitely a, a big party and, um, like people are really looking forward to it. So, um, yeah, I, I wasn't there myself this year in, in Utrecht because I, I had to commentate the, the, the stage, but, um, I was there in, uh, was it 2015, I think the start of the Tour de France in, in Utrecht and it was a, a madhouse. And, and yes, a, a lot of people cycle. And to be honest, um, it's only logical. I mean, um, I also have an apartment in Amsterdam. And when I'm there, I do everything by bike because I, I open Google Maps and then I have to go from, from A to B. And then you see how much time it takes by bike and how much time it takes by car. And it just, it's faster. It's just, it's just nuts uh, to do, uh, especially in, 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 a, in a city, to, to be in your car. It's, it's no use. Um, so I'm just, I'm just super happy and super proud of my, of my country. That's, that's, that is the way it is, you know, that people just ride their bikes. Yeah. Um, we did some research on um, the first stage and on the city of Utrecht. And I believe in Utrecht, next to the train station, is the world's largest bicycle parking house yeah it has space for 12,000 bikes yeah yeah so that's just for our listeners to understand yeah everyone in holland has at least a bike and uses that from basically a few years after birth until very very late in their lives right yeah 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 and i also i i, I never seen the seen the figures but i, I it's probably true that the Dutch people are, there's, there's very little obese people in, in, uh, in, in the Netherlands, at least a lot less than in the, for instance, the U S. Um, yeah, I have to agree with you there. It's one of the healthiest countries I've ever seen. Like, like my, 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 my this, maybe it's a, it's a funny, uh, addition that, uh, after we went to, uh, I did my first tour de France when I was 12, my sister was 14 
And directly after she went to the US um, uh, to do a, she was a year uh, like an exchange student. She was in, in California. I don't remember where. And she came back a year later and she gained 30 kilos. Kilos? kilos. She was gigantic. It was, it was really, it just, <laughs> we just had to laugh when we saw her. <laughs> Come on, you gotta be kidding me. Because she, she was there. I think she, what's, what's the name of this, the town? And it doesn't really matter, but it was somewhere in California in the desert. And she did everything by car. Everything by car from the, from the mall with air conditioning to, and, uh, yeah. So yeah, that, that's, that, that's what the U S did to her. Boy. Yeah. I wish I had a, uh, something to say to counter that, but, uh, you're, you're probably right, but let, let's get back to you and, you know, you started racing, like you said, and then you were on the super team Rabobank. Uh, the young team and then turn pro for them was there for a while. You were pro for 18 years, but I find it interesting that that, um, organization of Rabobank goes back to like 1984, you know, it's changed names so many different times and now is pretty much known as the, I hate to say it, everyone, the, probably the number one team, the most dominant team in the world with being Jumbo Visma. What was your experience like, you know, growing up in Holland with such a huge sponsor and so much support? And then, okay, there was some, you know, kind of tumultuous years there at the end of Rabobank. I think in 2013, the team was known as Team Blanco, yeah, which yeah. was pretty funny. Yeah, no and then moved to, to Belkin, to Lotto, NL, uh, Jumbo, and now it's called Team Jumbo Visma. But a lot of the people, a lot of the riders, a lot of the, well, not a lot of the riders, but a lot of the staff who were riders are still there. So what is Richard Prucha doing now? Yeah, he's like, a, I don't know the, 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 the proper name in, in, in English, but he's the big boss of the, of the team, the, the, the team's uh, uh, manager or director behind the screens. And um, I mean, the, the development that they've made like the last four or five years is, is just in, incredible. And uh, they were really on the verge of, uh, of collapsing. That was like directly after Rabobank stopped. And that was, uh, I mean, in, in cycling, it's, it's not a secret. It was a very difficult uh, period with, uh, with doping. Uh, Rabobank uh, pulled out and then there was no, um, no sponsor interested. And then, uh, so they, for, for a short while, they were called team Blanco. They had, they had no sponsor and then Belkin, an American company, he, it, it jumped in and, um, and they just, uh, and then, uh, Plugge came in, Marijn Zeeman, who's very important in the team. He, he came in and, um, and along with the, uh, development came the success and with the success came more money, etc., etc. So it was like this upward spiral. And now they're just on, on top of the game. So, Carsten, if, if they would call you tonight and say, hey, Carsten, forget about comedy and Eurosport, be part of this, be part of this team. Would you have any idea on top of your head what would you make better or different? Or you say, nope, they're just perfect. I would be just driving the car and yelling at the riders. Mm. Or you have any it ideas? That's question. I could make this or this better or I would change this or this. Well, um, to be honest, I when I... Uh, stopped racing. Uh, I was asked to be a sports director at uh, Team BMC, 
and I uh, kindly uh, reclined. Um, and the and, and the reason is that um, I think it now at this time it's it's even worse than than when I said no because I. Um, oh, this this gonna be a long answer. But when when I stopped racing, I was not at a, at a, in a very happy place. I um, I, I I got divorced. Um, yeah, I got divorced, and I, I I stopped racing, and I had to find solid ground beneath my feet again, and um, um, and at, at that moment I was not very. Um, very positive about myself and about uh, professional cycling in, in, in general. And um, um, and I had the feeling that when I um, am going, going to be a sports director now at BMC, um, I will have to uh, ask guys to do things that I know now are better th that they, sh they should not do. Um, because it's and it, it, it's only gotten worse like um, a good friend of mine Tom Dumoulin um, you all know he, he recently re retired 31 years old a huge talent but it's just it's so it's so hard now professional cycling with uh, all the pressure those those guys have the social instability with being away from home 250 days a year uh, and nowadays when you're not racing you you're on a training camp or you're not on a training camp you're on altitude um, and these guys, especially the GC riders, they have to um, weigh their food. You know, they're all on on the verge of um, um, what's what's the name in English? Um, anorexic. An anorexic. Or yeah. food disorder. Yeah, like a, yeah, like 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 a food disorder. So okay, today you burn this much calories, so you can eat one hundred and thirteen grams of rice and this much broccoli. And uh, I I don't think I could do it. So. Um, I think what they do now at, at, at Jumbo Visma, I, I really admire them and I look at it with, with, with awe, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm not jealous and I would not want to work there. Um, and it's not just them, eh, but it's, uh, I, I think it's just the, the, the way the, the sport evolved um, over the years. And it, it's, it's really on the limit. And I think, to be honest, I far over the limit. But um, so I can probably think of things where they can ride even faster, but then um, uh, they they would probably um, maybe retire when they were, when they're twenty years old or they, I'm twenty eight years old. You know, they uh, yeah you you cannot uh, keep that up for for a long time, or a lot of people can't. That, that that's an interesting point because both you, Jens, and myself were pro for over. 17 years so longevity you know is it a thing nowadays do these kids need to race that long do they want to race Can that they? long or do they just say hey i'm gonna go in full guns blaze and make all the sacrifices try to make the results and 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 move on that that's a question i have to to ask our generation versus the new generation is like who has it right but tell me a little bit more about tom Tom Demelan, I didn't really ever get to know him. Our, our careers didn't really overlap, but I've always been a huge fan. And I have to respect, I think everyone had to respect the maturity of him taking a break and then coming back and then trying to restart, which he did very well with the second place in the Olympics in 2021. 
But then, yeah, it just seemed like, you know, it was the enjoyment wasn't there. He was done to make those sacrifices. But give us a little bit of inside information about Tom as a person, because I know our listeners over here would be quite interested. Um, well, he's um, to 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 start with, he is a um, he's a very in, intelligent uh, guy. So he he thinks a lot. <laughs> um, and um, and he's also that's that's what I, I had a conversation with him last week, and then um, I, I told him that uh, most bike riders I know and and myself included, I did it because I of course I, I like to be outside and I, I love to to do sports and uh, I love to be on the bike and be in nature and with the wind in my air, but. As a professional bike rider, that's how I see it. You you keep on going where a normal person would stop. So why do you do that? And for me, uh, my reason was because I it made me special, um, and I wanted to be seen. Um, and that's that's what I I, I told him that I, t- I said, Tom, you don't have that, huh? He he just has a as a as a VO two max of 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 ninety two. And he just, he's, he's just, he's, 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 he's like, he's, he's a tourist, you know, he just likes to ride his bike. Um, but like I, I was with him in a, in, in a, in a coffee uh, shop um, the other day. And then this guy came over and he said, uh, hey, uh, do you know that you look exactly like uh, Tom Dumoulin? <laughs> and uh and like I, I know that when I was a bike rider, I, I, uh, I enjoyed that of getting the attention. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't like that. He, 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 uh, he wants to be left alone. So that's um, that's uh, that's that's definitely an, an an interesting thing. I mean, what what is your your motivation to to do to do what you do? And um, he just really uh, he still likes to ride his bike. But he doesn't want uh, people to look over his shoulder the whole time and people to tell him uh, you have to go to bed at this uh, time and you can only eat 130 grams of rice now. And um, he just wants to be be normal and live his life. Yeah. Um, looking back at, at our careers then, Carsten, um, I'm not sure if we would fit in today's uh, uh, racing and training schedule. Uh, I think we raced more on instinct and uh, yeah. guts and feeling. Yeah. And I remember even back then, back in the Tour de France days, we had this thing in the French team in Karakikol. We always used to say Friday is Sunday. So every Friday we did sneak out of the hotel, went to McDonald's, get a Mac Sunday. Every yeah. Friday, even in the Tour de France. Yeah. Today they would shoot you. If yeah. you eat a Mac Sunday, they would shoot you. They yeah, would I, see it on your blood sugar yeah. an hour after you have the ice cream. <laughs> so what do you think? Would we have a career that long in this no, modern no day way, and age? No way, no way, no way. I, I had a, a cycling cafe with um, uh, Fabio Jakobsen uh, the other day. And uh, I was telling some stories uh, from the old days that in the in the Belta, uh, yeah, sometimes we used to go out, like, like really just go out with some podium girls and have some beers. And he almost fell off his chair. <laughs> he says, "I had I had my last beer in uh, in January." I mean, uh, with, uh, yeah. And it's, so it's it's a it's a different time, and it's um, like when when I was uh, I think twenty or twenty one years old, I was at, at university. I was studying, and I wanted to be a professional bike rider, and I <clears throat> I wanted to do everything perfect. So I was really 
only focused on uh, on, on 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 riding my bike and my and my diet and and uh, doing my class at university. And I had um, I had a serious burnout then, at a really young age when I was 20, 21 years old. So I suffered from anxiety attacks for years, and that made me think. So what? What, what, do, what do I want and what, what can I do? Do I still want to ride my bike? And if I want to ride my bike, how do I'm going to do it? So then I, I knew where the anxiety attacks came from because I was just pushing myself. I was pushing and pushing and pushing. And, um, and then I said, okay, um, you're still allowed. I told myself, you're still allowed to, to work hard because that's, uh, that's also what I'm good at. That's what I like to do. But also once in a while, just take a step back and uh, and and enjoy of, of of what you've achieved in life, and um, and that is how I how I did it for the for the for all those years that I was a professional bike rider. I was working extremely hard uh, till a certain point, and then I just um, enjoyed myself for for a few weeks, and that's how I that's how I kept on going, and that's how I um, yeah survived uh, for, for 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 that many years, and I think nowadays. Oh, it's a, it's it's a, it's a whole different story. Also, I always really enjoyed uh, also like with, with you guys um, when you were in a straight stage race or when you were on a training camp to uh, after dinner to just um, stay on the table and to just talk to each other, have a beer, um, maybe play some cards or, or some pokers. I remember we once we were playing poker somewhere in, in California in a hotel. And, and, and now it's a whole different generation, you know, like Jos van Emden, he's still racing now. He's 38, I think. He's a good friend of mine. And he says, Carson, those young guys, they just, at the last moment, they come to the table, uh, still on their phones, they eat their meal, um, they go back to their room to, to be on, you know, whatever, whatever they do, like on, on Netflix or what, what, what do people do nowadays? So it's, I think it's a lot less fun than, than we were riding. Yeah, yeah I remember how we sometimes early at the Tour de France before, of course, mobile phones. Now we do really sound like old men, but still, we, we are. Know, <laughs> in one in one of these some of these French hotels, we would be just sitting out the parking lot. The Italians would be there talking with them, blah, 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 blah. You know, then the Frenchies would show up, and then you know, a few Americans and British, and we would just be hanging out at the hotel lobby. Nowadays, if you after dinner you go down to the hotel lobby, the press officers right sitting at your shoulder hey who are you going to talk to can i record can i you know can i watch you know it's like ah man i don't know but <clears throat> to defend these modern times a little bit they go faster it's spectacular and they probably earn a little more money than we did back in our day so it's not all bad in modern no. cycling i would say no no but but um, I'm, i'm pretty sure that i i would not have survived for, for that many years as a professional bike rider no, in, in these times i'm, I'm pretty sure Also because I'm, uh, I'm 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 not that talented physically. Um, I'm I, I think I'm I, I was mentally and <laughs> I see Bobby laughing now. But I like when when I I did like a, a test. I remember when we had like a training camp on Gran Canaria and and then it was testing day with Bjarni. You know, and we went up to this mountain. I was like, oh my god, here we go again. Oh no no no! And we were like with 28 riders, and I was like. And um, always there was one rider who had like pain in his knee or was sick, so who was behind me. But then I was, I was, I, I was the worst bike rider of the team, you know. So I was not physically very talented. Um, but I think that's uh, with my um, with my intuition and with my 
uh, with my grinta and with my 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 knowledge of the races, uh, especially in the classics, I could I could get get very far. And I think in these times I would have a problem because I'm I, I cannot push four hundred watts for for an hour, not even close. I won't like my I had a threshold of three forty or something. Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing. But that's what I remember about you ever since, you know, we started racing as pros together. I mean, I remember you won a stage in the Tour de France, I think on Bastille Day mm -hmm. in the like 2002 tour. And you were always one of the guys that could speak English, which was when you were on a French team, you just kind of gravitated towards the other guys that spoke English. And then over the years, I just had this impression that, gosh, this guy is a tactical master. Then when we got on CSC, I did realize that, you know what? This guy is a gamer. He's not necessarily a trainer. You know, like he doesn't want, he's not going to be staying up there with Frank and Andy and Yvonne and Yenzi in the, in the climbs and stuff. But like, you, you always had this very acute tactical sense that you were able to see the race in a totally different way and maybe use that to your advantage. Um, so when, when you did retire, I said, you know, he's either going to be a really good DS or he's going to be a commentator. And... Now we know that uh, which which road that you've you've taken, but now that you're working for Eurosport and commentating on all these races with your skill as being a tactical sort of guy, do you miss racing at all, or are you just back there kind of in awe um, with with this, what this new young generation is doing? Yeah, no, I, I haven't missed racing for for one second. So I was really when I I stopped racing, I was really afraid it was was going to happen because I. I consider myself or being in the ADHD spectrum. So I have a lot of energy and for me, um, cycling, that's how I look at it was a very way to channel my energy and to, um, to, to, to stay on path. Um, but I think that change is difficult for everybody. So when I was 38 years old and, uh, I knew that, uh, the end was coming of my cycling career and also I was, um, gonna get divorced. And I was really afraid it was what was going to happen and what would, uh, what, what my body would do and how my mind would react on, on not being on the bike for four five, six hours every day. And, uh, to my surprise, I haven't missed it one second. So I, I have to say that when I stopped racing, I, I stopped riding my bike, uh, from one day to another. And then after a few weeks I had, uh, problems with my heart, like my heart, uh, I had like a arrhythmia. So that was a clear sign of my body to, okay, Carson, you have to do something. <laughs> so, uh, ever since I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I'm moving, I, um, I rarely ride my bike, but I, I do move a lot. If you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to outside plus for less than a dollar a week. You can get six print and digital issues of Peloton magazine, exclusive membership content from bellenews.com access all the premium content from the whole outside family, including yoga journal, backpacker, ski, outside magazine, and many others. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events, access to Gaia, GPS, and trail forks, as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value in one $99 annual subscription. But, if you head to valuenews.com forward slash outside plus and enter BJPOD25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout, 
you will receive our special 25% discount and make a good deal. Great. And now back to our chat with Carsten. After your career stopped, you worked for Eurosport. Did you ever had the chance to go follow the Tour de France live to be there? Or you always worked from Holland from your home office? Yeah. Well, um, what I'm going to say now is really strange. Uh, I stopped eight years ago and I haven't been at a bike race since. Okay. Wow. Well, where my question was pointing at actually is um, the first five years after my retirement, I worked for NBC and I was at the Tour. And in my first year, on the other side of the fans, I was in awe of how much of a hero every single rider is just getting to Paris. I mean, I was sitting right at the finish line and I looked at the riders from the team presentation, like all young, healthy, freshly shaved, brand new clothes, towards the end where they all had crash marks and they got sunburned. I'm like, oh my God, did I ever do that 17 times how did i ever survive so what i'm trying to say is i gained so much more respect for my own sport after i was on the other side is that a little bit like that for you as well you sometimes ask yourself how could i ever go up that climb in a big chain ring or something like that i never did that jens no don't sell yourself short my friend you had a pretty good career okay you you were a good bike rider Yeah, um, I uh, I really respect every single bike rider. Yes, I, I have the same, but I I know that sometimes I'm I'm uh, I, I tend to forget how how hard it really was, and I have to um, slap myself on the fingers. You know, okay, Karsten. Um, yeah, um, and it's it's weird that I haven't been at a at a, at a, at a bike race, but I have to say that yeah. Like like I said, when I stopped racing, I was not very positive about my um, my my career, about yeah, what what cycling uh, brought, and I, I was really sick and tired of the world. And then um, about three years ago, I was like, okay, now it's it's about time to um, maybe to to go to a race, you know, to to actually be there and talk to the guys from the teams and the DSs and the, and the mechanics and. And then uh, Corona came in, and then um, yeah, for 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 I don't know what the, what the protocol is at the moment, but I think it's not that easy to to really be at the bike races now. I, I don't ex exactly know what the what the protocol is, but it's still with uh, with all the masks and all that shit. But um, but 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 I do believe that it's it it will it will change in the future. Then I will be at the bike races again. Well, talking about being in at bike races again. We have the Maryland Cycling Classic, which is our only one-day one UCI event coming up here. And guess what? I'm going to enter into your world, uh, your and Jens's world, and be part of the color commentary for the streaming that we're doing there. So any hints, any tips of being on comm, what to do, what not to do? Uh, I'm all ears because I've never done anything like that before. I... You know, you guys, Christian Vanneveld, um, Nicholas Roach, Simon Garens, Magnus Bagstedt, the, the, the name goes on and on of guys I know or my buddies that have been doing this. But any any little tips, either you or Jens, that I should think about well, when I'm uh, on the comms? Well, I, I think especially when you when you start doing it, um, I mean, a, a bike race takes a, it, it lasts for hours. And you don't have to talk for hours. It's okay to just be quiet for a minute 
that's uh, it's not directed at you personally because I I think that you talk too much or anything, but it's just uh, um, yeah you, yeah you you do, you don't have to yeah you, you, it's okay to be quiet uh, for uh, for some time once in a while while commentating yeah I think that's uh, that's a good tip. Um, don't be shy to repeat a comment or a joke because. Not always the same people watch the beginning or the end of the race. So it's not that you repeat yourself. Some people might hear that comment for the first time. And my only, my biggest thing is never ever think of, oh my God, there's one million people listening to every word. If I mispronounce a name, one million people gonna hear it. No, just pretend you talk to a friend about this bike race. Mm. Yeah, and, and don't uh, look at the comments on the... On social media. <laughs> so um, maybe we have time for a bit of um, expert talking here. What's going on in the Vuelta? Roglic already is gonna have it, or you think there is a comeback from a newcomer or Carapaz or anybody else is gonna be up there? Well, it's, to me, um, it's it's a weird story with Roglic. I mean. If, if it's, um, I, I follow cycling and, uh, what I understood is he started training two weeks ago. Come on. That's, that's, that is ridiculous. That's not true. How, how does that work? That that's, that's just ridiculous. And, um, yeah, so I, I don't believe that. So, I mean, I, I, that's also what I said, uh, going to this Vuelta, I said, Roglic, he, may, he has no chance if what he said is true, that he started uh, riding his bike two weeks ago after breaking a vertebra in the, in the tour. Um, and, and if it, if it's true, it's a, it's an, an uh, it's, it's a miracle. I mean, how do you guys uh, <laughs> look at that? Well, I, I went that far before I, I gave my opinion to the German webpage of, of Eurosport. I said, look, to me, Roglic, nature got him. He is just a little bit too old. He crashes too often. When he crashes, he crashes hard. I don't see him winning, not at all the Tour de France, but me, I also thought he's not, not even going to win the Vuelta. In the moment, it looks like I'm proven wrong, but I think, I mean, you know, nature doesn't stop for anybody. You get older, you get slower, you do break a little earlier in the corner because you got kids at home and you want to come out of this sport happy and healthy in one piece. So I thought he's not going to win a Grand Tour anymore, but in the moment... We're talking like now after stage four, he just won. Um, it looks like he is pretty dominant for the moment. Yeah, but, but it's, it's, it's still a long way. Yeah? It's yes, still that's way. what we saw in the Tour de France when he lost on the last day. Or Perinese when he crashed on the last day twice. So, Yeah. Yes. yeah like like my, my prediction for this uh, this year's uh, Vuelta was, uh, was Hindley. And I am going to stick with that, I think. I went for Joao Almeida from UAE, so I also went for one of the young guns. Yeah, yeah, but it's, I, he had uh, he had COVID, you know, after 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 the Giro, and uh, COVID is a, is a, is a weird thing. So I, I have my doubts. Actually, uh, talking COVID, um, I feel um, for a normal person like one of us, we would be happy and healthy two or three weeks after. But for an athlete who asks 100% of his body, they do feel if they miss 1% or 2%, right? Like Zagan, for yes. example. He had it three times. He struggles to come back to be 
the great Sagan he was, right? Yeah. It, uh, um, well, um, it, I think it's different for, for everybody. I mean, uh, some guys, uh, I think that uh, Van Aert, he, he had COVID. He, he recovered more or less. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's different for, for every person, for, for, for every rider. Um, you, you can be lucky or you can be very unlucky. I want, I want to go back a little bit to what you said about, you know, we, we know the names, the faces, you know, Dutch cycling, you know, the women have been dominant for years with Marianne Voss, Annemiek van Vluten, Anna van der Breggen, Ellen van Dijk. I mean, the list goes on and on. And then on the men's side, Matteo van der Poel, Dylan van Baal, Fabio Jakobsen, Wout Poels, you know, these these are guys that have, are, are established and in, in doing quite well. But I'm sure in your new uh, profession, you kind of have your ear to the pavement as far as new Dutch talent is concerned. Who are the young riders that we should keep an eye out for from from Holland? Because, man, you're starting to see these names pop up, and I can't pronounce any of them. Most of them seem to be on Jumbo Visma already, but um, what what is your take on this new generation of, of Dutch riders? Well, um, I, I think at the moment we are extremely lucky with uh, with, uh, with the, the the sprinters we have in, with uh, with Jacobsen, with uh, Groenewegen, and and um, I don't know if you know, know uh, Olaf Kooi. That's what, yeah. that's the one. Yeah. So yeah. he's he's. Really young and really good, and he's um, yeah, and he has he has the, um, the the luxury of of um, of being in the shadow of 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 Jacobsen and and Groenewegen, and he just does his uh, thing in the in the in the smaller races, and he he's getting better and better and better, and he's gonna be one to watch out for the for the, for the coming years, and I'm pretty sure. And what's also interesting is um, uh, Danny van Poppel, eh, who's who's considered now. As, as the best uh, leadout man in the in, in the world, I don't know if you guys saw the the leadouts he did uh, did this uh, in, in the Vuelta for Bennett, but Bennett he, he hardly had to he just had to pedal three times and he uh, could put his hands in the air. Um, so that's that's also interesting to to see. And there's just uh, there's uh, there's always uh, young uh, good good young riders coming up. Um, Bram Welten is a is, is a really good rider. He's on the Groupe MRTG. Um Simon Arendsman, he's going to uh, Ineos now. Um, it's going to be interesting what he's going to do now in the, in the Vuelta. Um, I think we have a really good uh, generation of, of Dutch bike riders coming. It's it's not, at the moment, it, it's it's really, we have a luxury, you know, a lot of good uh, professional bike riders, but there's there's more coming. It doesn't, it doesn't stop now. Um, talking about the, the young talent um, and widen the horizon a little, What's your take on these uh, superheroes like uh, Tom Pitcock or uh, Matthew van der Poel? Um, they just do uh, mountain biking and then uh, cycle cross and then they train a little bit on the road and then they win Amstel Gold Race and then they back on mountain biking. What's your take? How is that possible in these modern day and cycling? And more importantly, I want to know how long do you think they can keep all that mm. up? I have no clue. I have no clue. Uh, and that is also a risk, you know. Uh, I mean, uh, Van der Poel, um, it, it's clear that he's suffering with his back. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you jump from your, from your mountain bike to your, to your uh, cyclocross bike, to your time trial bike, to your race bike, and then back on your mountain bike, and yeah, I can imagine that you get a, get a back problem then. Um, so the, I guess it's, 
there's definitely a risk, but it's also maybe that's that's the secret those guys have is that in these times where it's so strict and it's so monitored the whole time and with the food and the sleep and the training and um and they did just get a lot of uh joy out of um uh switching between those uh, disciplines this disciplines and with uh with the joy they have more more motivation and they, they can do it with they 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 can they can raise on emotions and they are not robots so maybe that's that's uh, that's their secret I can see that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm in absolute awe. Um, not to mention, you know, all those changes of bike positions. But remember, he felt basically, you know, when he crashed in the Olympics, it was like falling off the roof of your house. Yeah. You know that that precipitated yeah, yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah, those. Yeah. those That's those, where his back, back, back problems started. Yes, yeah, you're right, Bobby. Yeah, yeah. 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 But um, hey, listen, you said that you didn't ride too much nowadays, but I've ran into two of your buddies, Lawrence Tandam and Thomas Decker over here in the USA doing some gravel events. Um, I remember Lawrence Tandam came on our podcast and said that you guys did a little bit of a, a bike adventure, bike packing thing. Yeah. Is, is that at all? I mean, we're obviously not racing anymore, but are you at all into gravel over there in the Netherlands? Because it seems like a bunch of those guys are coming over here and, and doing quite well. It's it's definitely very uh, popular, um, and I think the main reason is because Holland is very crowded, uh, and it's not always safe to to ride on the on the road. And it's just um, it, it's just so nice to 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 be in nature. And when you have a gravel bike, you can uh, ride on the road, but also on the, in the in the forest. Um, so it's definitely um, really uh, getting momentum and. Yeah, this this bike adventure. So uh, Lawrence Tendam, he uh, he asked me, so Carsten, when are we gonna ride again? And I was like, ah, uh, yeah, okay. He said, okay. okay. He kept on asking. He said, okay, okay, let let's do it. And he wanted to go together with Bram Tanking, the the three of us. Yeah, we've been friends for years. He said, okay, let's do it. And I'm prepared to to go with you guys. And uh, so we're gonna go bikepacking. Uh, they said, it was in November. And uh, I said, okay, so how long are we going to ride? And they, saw, they they asked me, so how long do you want to ride? I said, well, two and a half, three hours, maybe. And he said, no, we're going to ride eight hours. I said, eight hours? Are you joking? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm fit, but I'm like one hour fit. Um, so I'm not going to ride my bike for eight hours. Are you, are you joking? And uh, and then I, I um, allowance is uh, sponsored by Specialized. And they know that he, he got this. Um, um, electric uh, gravel bike for his wife. Uh, so I said, okay, I'm going to go with you guys, but then I want to have uh, Tessa's uh, electric uh, gravel bike. And then, uh, so that, that's what happened. So that's what, what we did. So we we, uh, we left here we um, from my house here in Belgium and we went into into uh, the Eiffel in uh, Germany. Uh, I think we did seven or seven and a half hours. And uh, so I was on, a, on an electric bike. <laughs> And those guys they were on, on a normal gravel bike, and it was 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 a really nice adventure. Yeah, in in in, in that way. But um, but afterwards, I was not like okay, I'm this this is gonna be my new hobby. No, no, not yet at least. So um, you also think? I mean, I bought an e-bike for my wife as well. What I love about the e-bikes, it's a great equalizer, just yes. like you explained, right? Even if you haven't trained that much, or you're coming back from injury, you can still ride with your friends. 
because of that, right? So yeah. you think of getting one, or if you have one, would you use it quite often? An electric one? Yep. No. No, 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 no. Actually, I have, I have an, uh, uh, do you know an Urban Arrow? Do, do you have that? Like in, in Germany, you probably have that in the US. It's like an um, electrical uh, a cargo bike. Buck feet, we call it. You know what it is? You ride one yeah. of them? <laughs> yeah, wow. I have a baby. I have a baby. So. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So uh, you can just uh, do your groceries and have two kids in it. And uh, and that's that's an electric, uh, electric one. But uh, it was not my choice. So um, Alice, um, that that was uh, something that she she really wanted, and I um, I have to say I, I use it daily, and it's it's very handy with uh, with the baby. But uh, no, I'm 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 fit. I'm 46 years old. I'm not gonna buy an electric bike for myself uh, until I'm uh, 70, I guess. Yeah. But um, our producer just sent us a a picture on WhatsApp of what your you're talking about here so there now i go. get a little bit more better visual um that's pretty that's pretty serious it is you would definitely need a a motor to help you get that thing around it looks pretty pretty big but th that brings me to another interesting question other than an e-bike um with your experience now commentating um, what what do you really feel is that new technology that the guys have now that just either blows you away or wish that you had when when you were racing. Uh, well, the, the with the new technology, you mean like the, the the like the electric gearing and stuff, or or more, more just, like the the, just, the monitoring. Just the equipment, equipment uh, monitoring, what whatever. I mean, the the answer is kind of up to you. I'd be curious to hear your your take on you know the advances in technology in our sport between when when we were racing and and now. Well, um, it, it's it, it, there's there's two sides uh, of it, and um, I um, I noticed that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit old-fashioned in in that, that that I when I see those guys and they're pulling and they're like swapping on their uh, how many watts am I doing and I'm like oh, just just ride your bike you know and and look around and enjoy the scenery and and uh, they have that's how I I see it you know they have such a such a ton of vision and. I remember that what was it again was it Sivakov I remember that there was I think it stayed in the Giro like this epic stage and he did like really well he finished third or fourth and he did an amazing stage and then um he, he crossed the finish line but then it was it was a bit cold I don't know if, if I'm telling the story right but it was cold and he his fingers were frozen and he tried to you know that's what they always do immediately after the finish line they on the finish line they pressed stop and then he deleted this file <laughs> and he was he, he 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 could not he could not speak to the journalist afterwards. He couldn't do an interview because he was so uh, cranky that he that he deleted his, uh, his his file. You know this epic file. You know, <laughs> and so that's for me. That's a that's a bit different. But I, I I understand it. If you want to be uh, with the best, you you need to do that. And um, but um, I I also have the feeling that 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 it, it takes away part of the joy of just riding your bike and and being out there in nature with your buddies. That's also what I hear of those guys that, uh, like when I turned pro at Wednesday, we always went to the Ardennes with a group, and then we just we killed each other on the climbs and halfway, we had a few coffees and some apple pie, and then we went back and we we uh, we, we tried to 
uh, drop each other again and we had so much fun and nowadays they cannot even train together because this this guy has to do uh, five times one one minute 32 seconds on that many watts and uh, whatever they they have to do and so they only have their their their, their schedule so it's, it's i think it's it's pretty lonely now so um, sometimes Bobby and me, we're on a different sides of this technology thing, just like you. And you already answered my question. My question would have been the same question like Bobby, but just from the other side. What piece of equipment would you take away from this modern dance of sport? But I guess it would be the power meter, right? So people would be actually have to race after feelings. Um, yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that would be interesting. Also, I'm also um, one of those guys who would love to see racing without a radio. Totally old school, but like you said, you know, you are, you are. Well, Carson, listen, thank you so much for coming on. It's great to see you. We wish you all the best of luck with the future endeavors there over at uh, Dutch Eurosport and beyond. Thank you so much for coming on, Bobby and Jens, and really looking forward to seeing this next generation of young Dutch athletes come through and you get to call their name. Yes. Well, thank you for having me, Jens and Bobby. Oh, a pleasure, my Bobby friend. And Jens. <laughs> Bobby and Jens. Yes. Oh, Bobby, sorry, Bobby and Jens. Yes, Bobby is the Jedi Master and I'm his young Padawan. Okay. <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks to Carsten for being our guest. Thanks everyone for listening. Please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Value News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne and this episode was edited by Tim Mosa. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. Mm -hmm.